The title, as you can see here, The People Rebelled. If you remember in chapter 13, it was all about the spies being sent into, the, uh, into Canaan, into what we call Israel today, but a much larger area that they covered than the current Israel property today. And they sent in one leader from each of the tribes to make sure they had representation of the entire uh, nation of Israel. That was by design, because initially, if you remember, the people wanted to go check out the, the promised land, even though they already heard from God the promise that God had for them. They couldn't take God at his word. They had to go by sight and not by faith. They were not men and women of faith. They were definitely not walking the way God would want them to walk. And then, of course, then Moses did not do right as a leader, and he went along with them. He was a passive leader, knowing that God it was not going to be pleasing God. And God said, okay, if you want to send people, if that's what you want, you can have my permissive will here, not my perfect will. We're going to let you do it. You send in each representation from each of the tribes. And I think it's just God's brilliance and all-knowing God. He wanted to make sure that no one say, well, that tribe didn't listen to my tribe. And if that tribe would have listened, it would have been this one. And no, no, you get a leader from each one of these tribes. And let's see how this all plays out. As we know, it didn't play out well for them. Here in chapter 14, we're going to see the consequences of this rebellious Israel, uh, Israel the, the rebellion of Israel in Kadesh Barnea here. In Numbers 14, verse 1, it starts off here after finding out they're in the wrong. This is not good. God is not happy. None of it's playing out like they wanted to. Look at what happens in verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. So the children of Israel were confronted with two reports. Ten of the twelve spies came back and said, This is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. This is terrible, ta- terrible, terrible. Complaining, oh, you won't believe. Oh, hey. But then there was two, Caleb and Joshua, who came back, who were men of faith, and said, No, we can do this. God's with us. We should go now. And they did not like that. And these two of the 12 tribes said, let's go. And the other ones was like, no, we're not going. We're not going to, this is, this is, nevertheless, we're just not going to do it. Because the people in that land are too mighty. Things are just, even though it's milk and honey, just like God promised, we're not willing to take the risks. So we see these people. Notice here in verse 1, all the congregation, not just the 10 tribes that were represented by the 10 spies of leaders that did not come back with a good report. But even the ones with, uh, of, of Caleb, uh, who represented the tribe of Judah, we see that in verse 9 of chapter 13, and Joshua, or Hosea, which is representing the tribe of Ephraim, which is in verse 8, even those tribes that they represented we're still complaining and still crying out and going, oh my goodness, this is terrible, what we've got ourselves into. But we also must remember that the details of how and why these spies were sent out. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 25, this was not God's plan. This was the people's plan. And when the people try to rule and try to lead and do what they want to do versus what God says, you're always in trouble. 
And then in compounding of that, Moses, who was appointed by God to be the leader, to say, no, 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 people, you've you got to follow God. This is what God's word said. This is what he told us. No, he, he, he just succumbed to the pressure of the people. Even his two family members, Aaron and Myra, Miriam, went against him and tried to cause a rebellion, if you remember. So he was just like, okay, if I appease these people, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll calm down and they won't, they won't stone me and they won't kill me. They won't get rid of me. Because they were starting to look for a new leader because a new leader will do what they want them to do. Very dangerous when the people of the congregation start rising up to look for another person, another leader, another pastor, another leader in the, in the congregation and get them out because they want someone who will be a yes man and do what they want, not what the leader should be doing is following what God wants. Be very careful in a congregationally led church. But why were the spies sent in the first place? Because the people did not trust God's word. They didn't need military information. God said, I'm going to give you the strength and the abilities to overcome anything that's going over there, any enemy. And it's not like they needed to know where the land was laid out because the already told them it's so sweet. Milk and honey is so great. It's just perfect for my people. See, they didn't even recognize who God is to them. They knew of God. They saw God dwelling in a cloud and, and fire and over the tabernacle and, and everything was in order and everything was perfect. And everything. He brought them through so many trials and tribulations from Egypt. All of these experiences and signs and everything else that God revealed that he was with them. That he is a provider, a protector, a comforter, a healer. Every aspect of the character of God was revealed to these people in one year after leaving Egypt. Was that enough for these people? No. They know of God, but they really didn't know God. Why would a good father give their kids a land, a promised land, that was given all the way back to Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob? It was going to be terrible land. Because they didn't really know God. See, that's what it is. If you have to live by sight, you really don't know God. You don't have an intimacy of understanding of your Heavenly Father or of your Savior, Jesus Christ. You really don't know that faith is so weak. You're still trusting in your own abilities. And we see that play out here tonight with the people. And so they wept all night long. These unbelieving People of the congregation, because of the unbelief implanted by these ten spies, represented this just unbelieving heart of the nation, and it just came out that night and weeping all night long. Why? Well, I'm going to give you a few things of why people weep when the things are revealed to them of what their heart is like. What are the characteristics? Well, the first one was, was this morning because God would not make it easy for them they were mourning because they knew this was not going to be easy taking the promised land this was going to be a different life a difficult life isn't god supposed to give us some perfect easy life is that what that's supposed to, i thought that's what it's going to be like following god and when you realize it's not and god never promises you that you will mourn you'll weep and cry because god is not making it easy for you to live this christian life the second one is, it was morning filled with resent, 
or resentful attitude towards God. They were blaming him for their problem. It was their problem. It wasn't God's problem. God had his part all set up. It was their problem for not having belief. Denying that he is a loving father who cares for his children, who knows what's best. They did not believe that. Oh, they could always say it. Oh, I trust God. Oh, I believe in God. But their actions and their words do not line up with that at all. And they were mourning. It was mourning that gave into the feeling of unbelief and fear. That's another reason why people cry. When all of a sudden they're overwhelmed by unbelief and fear, mourning that allowed these feelings rule in one's life instead of faith and being grounded. It'll be an emotional mess. Fear will fill you. Unbelief will fill you. It's a sign that you're living by sight and not living by faith. Here they're clinging to the feelings of fear and mourning and, and just playing sin and rebellion is just pouring out of their lives and they're just clinging to their feelings and it's sin that they're clinging to. Because rebellion is sin. And then there was this mourning over a lost. See, we usually mourn because something has died. But notice, here God was trying to cause something to die. It was their flesh. <laughs> he was trying to get them to die of their flesh and stop living by sight and stop trusting in their own, their own strength. To die of that sinful nature, the old man, that old covenant sense in their lives. God's trying to work that out in them and Israel more because they wanted the old life, the old man to live and not die. They wanted control. They wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. And that's why people of unbelief and lack of faith or no faith at all will mourn through the night. And so here Israel stood barely even a year out of Egypt on the doorstep of the promised land that God promised them. Over 10 chapters we've covered talking about the promised land and getting them prepared for the people for the promised land. God put in order, organization, cleansed them, purified, set apart, blessed, protected, delivered, put everything in order, guidance. Tools for them to use to help them. Everything. Was that enough? No. Because unbelieving people are never satisfied. Never satisfied. Never content. Always looking. Critically, critical spirit. Always looking for something to blame someone else. Or justify their emotions. But God invited them to take the land. Let's go. But they rebelled, and now they're mourning. They had a beautiful gift from God of the promised land, a promise of rest, and all the promises that God had for them through this. And they rebelled. Then we see in verse 2, And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. <laughs> so emotional. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. 
Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Wow, they're really pouring it out, aren't they? But when you look at those verses right there, the children of Israel were literally, they didn't go right to God to complain, did they? They always go to the leaders. They immediately went to Moses and Aaron, complaining. Never go right to God. No, no, no. They, they went to them. The whole congregation, not just the ten tribes. The whole congregation. Only two men that didn't go. Caleb and Joshua. And they then poured out what was coming out of their heart of only we would have died in Egypt, meaning we should have never left. We should have never listened to God and follow what God wanted us to do. That's what it means. And then once they took that step and went out and tried God, then you look at the next statement. Why, why, we could, we could, why wouldn't you just have died here in the wilderness? I'm done with this whole living for God moment. Because it's not turning out the way I want it. And finally, in verse, part of verse, verse 3, why has the Lord brought us to this land? And now they use the weapon, right? They shift. God, how dare you want to kill our children and our wives? Oh, you're terrible, God. Can you imagine? No, it happened. doesn't happen today, does it? Blaming God for your mistake, for your bad choices, for your wicked way of living, your selfish living, and then you turn around and, and indirectly blame God and how it has the impact on look at my kids now. If I wouldn't have followed this Christianity thing. No. It doesn't, didn't work for them. It's not going to work for us today. See, their murmuring was directed toward Moses and Aaron, but God knew it really was directed against him. You can blame everyone else, but God knows who you're really blaming. Because the vision that Moses and Aaron was doing, what they were following, was not their own vision. It was God's vision given to the leader of that tribe, that congregation, that nation of Israel. And they were just doing what God told them to do. So when you go against the leader's vision that God gave them, you're indirectly or directly going against God yourself and murmuring and complaining against him. Because you don't like the vision. Hello? And that's very sobering because when you sit there and complain against the leader that God has given a vision of where it is and it's in line with the scriptures and moving in the direction and you don't want to do that, you're going against God. You're not going just against the leader. You're messing with God. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Because we see it right there in verse 9 when we get there that Joshua and Caleb knew only do not rebel against the Lord. <laughs> You're rebelling against the Lord. And in verse 11, we'll get to it, we see that the Lord himself says, how long will these people reject me? They weren't fooling anybody. They weren't fooling Moses and they certainly weren't fooling God in regards to their drama that they were playing out in their emotions. The challenge of faith before the people seems so great. If we only had died. Well, guess what? We're going to find out that God actually gives them what they say. 
And tragically, this whole generation, this whole generation of adults, the rebellious rebels, unbelieving hearts, will be completely wiped out. And they asked, they had, they asked this, 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 this really this stupid question. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? This is what we call the deep state rebellion. The deep state. Blaming almighty God for thinking he doesn't know what's best for them, for his people. You know, some people, when they get counsel, get counseling, it's a healthy thing to sit down and really just pour out your heart of really where your thoughts are and what's going on in your heart and, and, and coming out of your mouth so you can kind of go do that. But you have to understand when you're sitting there just pouring out, just murmuring and complaining what God has done, but indirectly saying it through other people and that's their fault is why I'm in my positions and, and not God, you know. It, you, you really have to understand what you're doing. That all these feelings and just pouring out and just letting all the dirt just come out of the heart and just from your mouth and think you can be justified from all those feelings? That God doesn't know what's best and what God's doing in your life is not a good thing and working through things? Be very careful what you're spewing out and complaining about God. Indirectly, maybe through other people. Blaming everybody else in your life, but really you're saying, God is the one doing this to me. And then you start using your children and your wives or your children and your spouse because of your unbelief. Guess what? All the adults will get wiped out, but the children will be the generation that will inherit the promised land. Oh, you're going to have all our kids die in the wilderness. No, God's saying, no, you're going to die in the wilderness. Your children are going into the promised land because I, I can bring them through and build them up and get them prepared. Then what, at the end part of verse 3, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? See, there's the real root, isn't it? We saw that before earlier on in the chapters. I think we should go back to Egypt. I should go back to the old life. I should go back and live the way I used to live. This whole Christian thing, this whole living out here and trusting God and by faith. Oh no, I think we should just go back into the world and trust my abilities and my work, my work ethics, my knowledge, my understanding. All these other things that you were lying that got you into slavery already back then in your slavery of sin. They were in slavery. That's a slave mentality. They were being... Absolutely, the Egyptians were cruel to these people. And they were willing to go back to that slave mentality. People are, get, are freed from their sin, but they'll, if they don't, it doesn't work out exactly the way they want to because they just don't agree what God's doing. They would rather go back to the slave of sin that they used to live by and think it's better. It's insanity, I know. But I've seen it played out more times than I even care to even try to count. Yes, the slave mentality versus walking by faith. No, make no mistake, what Israel rejected here was a walk of faith. They did not want to walk by faith in what God 
They did not want a deeper relationship and trust in God Almighty. They just want it easy. They just want it their way. They just want to just have, 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 give, give, give. And that's why they said, let us select a leader, a new leader, and return to Egypt. Why? Because Moses and Aaron wasn't listening to him. We're not going to turn around and go back. Are you crazy? And if the people don't get what they want, then they always automatically think, okay, we'll oust you out and we'll, we'll select the leader that we want. Now, God doesn't select. We don't think God selected Moses and Aaron the right way. They, they were bad choices, really what they're saying. We'll select who we want. Yes, man. A yes, man. That's just pure rebellion. They're just a rebel. They didn't want God's plan. They didn't want God's leaders. They didn't want God's land. They believed they knew better than God and what they wanted for their lives. That's insanity as a believer. They're so man-centered in their rebellion. They would rather look at the majority of the people Vote what they want, do what they want, let us select, let us do this, let us take control, let us do this. That is a congregation going down. It's only a matter of time. And they did. Verse 5. Then we see, oh, verse 4. And so they said to one another, let us select a leader, and return to Egypt. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua and the son of Nun and the Caleb and the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied on the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass, we pass through to spy is an exceedingly good land. And if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their, protect, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So here's a good leaders. They're now trying to intercede for the people. I mean, these are really good leaders. You know that they know that without a doubt that God appointed them to be leaders and it doesn't matter what the people do to them, they're not going to just pick up and run. They're not like false leaders, false teachers, who when the pressure gets there, they just pack up and they go and find another and start another congregation and do the same mistakes wherever else they're going to go. And they jump around to congregation, congregation, because they're just not leaders of God. But these people, Moses and Aaron, stood firm and said, No, God, please, let me talk to the people. Let me intercede for them. Let them see if I can get to their right mind of understanding, right? But they, not Moses and Aaron, I should say that. Moses and Aaron dropped to their face because they knew they were in, the people were in deep trouble. Deep trouble. But it was Joshua and Caleb that were these optimistic and, and go-getters that say, Hey, remember, this was a beautiful land. This was great. Don't fear the people. The God's going to help us through this. I mean, here's four leaders really rising up 
Two interceding because they know the people are in deep trouble because they're going against God. And two leaders who are trying to intercede and try to convince the people to get back in line and do what God's will is. There's four leaders in this congregation trying to save these people's skin. Verse 10, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the God of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Ooh, does that not remind you when God came to the tabernacle to deal with Miriam and Aaron? (laughs) Not a good thing. God's showing up. But you see, here's four leaders interceding and pouring out and trying to convince them, don't make this huge mistake. Don't be rebellious. Don't go against God. Don't do this. Don't go your own way. Turn around. Stop doing what you're doing. Let's go forward with God's plan. God's grace, he's with us, for us. Let's do this. And what do they do? All the congregation, all they can think about is killing them. Kill them. Get rid of them. We're taking matters in our own hands. And that's when God said, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to let you know what's going to happen next. Not going to be good. Why? Because the glory of the Lord appeared. This is the response the Lord is going to have. And we are not yet told what the glory of the Lord would do, but it isn't hard to figure out It's not going to be good for the people. Their actions, their feelings were not consistent with the glory of the Lord. It did not please God. Unbelief does not please God. Mourning because of the walk of faith was hard and you didn't want to do it. That doesn't please God. I'd rather die than live for doing what God wants us to do. That doesn't please God. To accuse God of plotting murder against your family does not please God. To go back into the old sinful life, the slavery of Egypt, does not please God. To reject God's leaders and go with the people's choice does not please God. Not wanting to go into a deeper relationship with God and to grow and mature and move forward by faith and walk by faith as faith walkers. Nope. You don't want to do that? It doesn't please God. So what happened in verse 11? Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people react, uh, reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. The Lord made it very clear to Moses. He didn't even speak to the people. He just clearly went right to Moses and said, How long do you think I'm going to deal with these rejecting type people against me? Rebelling people against me. How long do you think I'm going to deal with this? They don't believe me. They don't believe anything I've done. They've completely rejected what I've done in their lives and helped them. And what I've promised them, completely rejected. They want to just live their lives however they want to. Take control. Go back to the old life. He says, I'm going to, they're going to come into pestilence and disinherit them. And I will start all over and create a, a, a new nation. A whole new nation 
greater and mightier than what we have right now that was established through the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, Moses, we're going to start fresh. Everything I promised to your forefathers, we're going to start fresh, and it's going to start from you. Wow! Can you imagine the heaviness of that? Moses was used by God to write the first five books of the, of the Bible. He knows what God has promised and all, that, all the stuff he said to, to Abraham all the way down. And now he's telling Moses, Moses, we're going to start fresh. I'm going to wipe everyone out and it's going to start with you. And it's going to be a whole new nation that's going to be even greater and better. What do you think Moses was thinking when he heard that from God? That, that'd be heavy. Heavy, heavy. But God was real about this. God wasn't playing a game here. We have rebellion people. And I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to bring judgment upon them. They asked to die in the wilderness. They're going to die in the wilderness. They didn't want to follow me. That's fine. They're going to be gone. And I will fulfill my promises because God says I'm going to fulfill my promises. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. And that land will be given to his people. The blessings that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now will come through Moses instead. This is huge. Remember, Moses had a similar offer made to him. If you remember back in Exodus chapter 32, verses 7 through 14, back then God said, Moses, we're going to start fresh with you, man. But you remember Moses' reaction? He didn't even entertain that idea. He did what back in Exodus? He interceded for the people. Oh, no, 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 God, please. Please have mercy and show grace and long suffering. Please, don't wipe out your people. And guess what happens here? How does he respond when God said, I'm going to start fresh with you? What does he do? And Moses said to God, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, and they have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, and that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar by fire by night. Now, if you will kill these people as one man, then the nation which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring these people to the land which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. He says, God, please don't change your plan and put it all on me. Just Please, I'm interceding for these people. Please, can we do it a different way here? Because the people, it will have a bad connotation out to all the inhabitants. They'll say this, God is not strong enough and good enough and wise enough to bring a nation of people that he promised to bring in and he had to start all over. That Would that be a good testimony? I, I can hear Moses trying to, please God, don't, don't put it all on me. This is your glory that we're talking about. It's your reputation, God. Please. Your promises. I beg you. 
Don't give the nations any opportunity to think God has, has not been true to his word. Please. And then verse 17, And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord of long-suffering and abundant in mercy and forgiving and equity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of these people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven these people from Egypt even until now. So we see here, uh, did I skip a section? Did I skip 13 through 16? No? No. I don't know why I felt like I just missed something in my mind here. But notice here, he's saying, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Pardon these people. Pardon these people. Pardon what is going on here. Moses glories in the power of God. He knew who his God was. But ask that God would use his power by showing mercy and long-suffering and forgiveness to these rebellious people in Israel. These lists that he talks about here, mercy and forgiveness and long-suffering, all that, that's also noted, in, uh, the, in, in noted here in verses 18 and 19, are basically almost quoted the exact same thing back in Exodus 34, verses 6 through 8, that was, he said back then to God. You've revealed yourself through your word, Lord. Your word declares who you are, Lord. Now, Lord, please act towards Israel according to who you are and declare yourself to be in your word. And let's keep moving forward with this, Lord. Please pardon these people. Pardon their iniquity of these people. That was his prayer. There would be a, there would be a pardon going on here. Can you imagine, as a sinner, what is the most beautiful words when you are, been, are locked up because of your sin that you've been pardoned? You're locked up in jail. You're in bondage. And someone says you've been pardoned. You've been set free. What more beautiful words could you ever hear? And that's what Moses was saying to God. God, your glory, your power, your promise. Please pardon these people. Give them a chance. Set them free. See, sometimes God allows certain things, even in the, happening in the congregation, to do what? To build up the leader, Moses, to be even a stronger leader as they go into the promised land. And that was the plan, to transform Moses into the image of his son. Just like we see in Romans 8, 29. God used and allows things in our life to build and transform us to be men and women of faith to continue to move forward in doing what God's called us to do. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, verse 20. So right there, think, think how important those words are right there. You just ask God by prayer and talking and interceding. God, please pardon these people. And what does he answer his prayer immediately? Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. According to whose word? 
according to the prayer of Moses. You want to know there's power in prayer? And you're interceding for other people? Looking and asking God to pardon them of their sin, to set them free, to, to be born again, to be intercede for them? And you can see that God listens and actually did according to Moses' word? Because the heart of Moses and his method of interceding for others was successful because he had the right attitude going to God. These sweet words of any sinner wants to hear, God, please pardon them. They're so foolish, they really screwed up, but can you please pardon them? His, his prayer wasn't elaborate. It wasn't some, some way of waste, you know, uh, of trying to manipulate God. He earnestly just came to the Lord and said, please, will you pardon them? And Moses listened and heard God say, I pardon them according to your words. I, I think that's really powerful. Because if prayer is something, some, like a lot of people think prayer is some elaborate game that God has us play. Or some, some waste of time. Why do I need to pray if God is going to do whatever he's going to do anyway? What's the purpose of prayer? Because God is working in your heart to align your faith in line with his. his. Your will to be in line with his will. And he will reveal this. And yes, how we may not fully understand this relationship between eternity and the sovereign plan of God and our prayers and, and what he's going to do and not do. I don't fully understand all that. But I believe it. I know God says to come to him and pray and ask and keep asking. And in this case, God made sure I will pardon according to your word, the power of prayer. Verse 21, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb... Because of he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Malachites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So we see here in the verses here that God says, okay, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. God's response to Israel was fact is says, you're going to get what you asked for and there are consequences for your unbelief. And yes, we will show you mercy and pardon and not take you out immediately. But you're not going to see the land that I swore to your fathers. Nor shall any of those who reject me will see the promised land. But I'll let you continue to live until you die. Those who put God to the test and rebel against his promises will not see the promised land. Except, he says, but Caleb, 
And Joshua, but Caleb, he's noted here. Why? Because he brings out, look at the testimony of who Caleb is. My servant, who has a different spirit in him. He didn't have a critical spirit. He didn't have an unfaithful spirit. Who followed me fully. He was fully committed to following God. Not half-hearted. Not only when it's convenience and good for him. He was fully committed to following God regardless of the situations and circumstances. And I will bring him into the land. Because he's a man of faith. But tomorrow, move out. Turn around, take the congregation, and start heading back to the Red Sea. That means back to to Egypt like they wanted. Turn around. You're right at the foot doorstep to go into the promised land. No, turn around. You're going back to where you belong. That's what you want. Let's go have you taste what it tastes like to go back to the old life. And look what happened. God had brought to them to this threshold, this, this, this moment, this doorstep of the promised land. And God will send them back into the wilderness. And they were backing toward the Red Sea. And this, again, Israel had demonstrated they are still slave-minded. They were not really truly repenting. They all, they cried and they do all kinds of things to show they think they're repenting, but they really wasn't a changed life. Verse 26, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you the carcasses of you. Who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to, their, to your entire number from 20 years old and above. And everyone who was that adult and above who could be warriors. Who were counted for. If you remember back in, in the numbers and in Exodus of being counted for. Except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. And they shall know the land which you have despised. So they despised going and doing what God wanted. They despised what God had for them. Not a good thing. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness according to the number of the days in which you spied on the land. 40 days they were in there, if you remember. And for each one you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection." A year for every day you were in, you're going to be rejected. Though I, the Lord, have spoken this, I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed and they shall die. So it's very clear. The whole entire adult generation will die in the wilderness and they will wander for 38 years Plus the two years that's been consumed already, total of 40 years in the wilderness, that whole generation is going to die. And their children will go into the promised land just as because they're going to be brought up and learn and grow in their trust in the Lord. A test for sure. Verse 36. Then the men whom Moses sent to spy on the land, who 
returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. He did not... <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll talk with the congregation who's murmuring and complaining to me here. But he still held those leaders immediately responsible. It brings you back. If you're a leader for God who is going to teach the word of God, you are going to be held what? More responsible, aren't you? There's a harsher judgment if you go against God. Here it was a clear indication. Those ten spies who went against God, they led the people who God came back with a bad report, did not do what God called them to do. They immediately died. Harsher judgment. The, other, the rest of the family, they wandered in the wilderness for the next 38 years, waiting for them to die off of old age. And then they knew the children went in. Then Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, and the people mourned greatly, and they rose early in the morning and went up onto the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this, is, for this will not succeed. Do, you not go, do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies, for the Lord is not among you. For you, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hermon. So here they are, congregation. God just told them, take them, turn them around, send them back toward Egypt to the Red Sea. Get them away from the promised land. What did the people do? No. We're going into the promised land anyway. We're going to go do it our way. We're going to take this responsibility and we're going to do it anyway. And we're going to go up to the mountaintop and we're going to conquer and we're going to get what God promised us. Hello? Who do you think you are? <laughs> what did they suppose the leaders say? Don't do it. God's not with you. The ark's not with you. God's presence is not with you. I, I'm not leaving with you. I'm not leaving this place. I'm not going anywhere near that place. And guess what? The Amalekites, the Canaanites, they're going to drive you out. You're going to die by the sword. You're, not, you're doing it on your own. You're going to die. And sure enough, they did it anyway. They tried it. Even though it was totally rebelling against what God's word said. You're not going. You're going into the, back into the wilderness. That is a rebellious heart. When someone says, I know what you're telling me, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's a rebellious heart. I know what you tell me, but I don't believe you. And I think it's a bad idea. And it's critical. And I'm going to go against it anyway, even though it goes against the word of God. That is a critical spirit. That's not a man of faith. That's not a woman of faith. They wanted to make it all better with their religious works or words by their own hearts that were not changed. They were just going to do their own initiative do it their own 
their own way and go, even though it goes against God's will and God's way, hoping to reap the same blessings that God had promised them earlier. If they did it God's way. And Moses said, it's not going to work. You're not going to succeed. You're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. It did not succeed because God was not with them. And it's a promise all the time. Even as a leader in a congregation, when people rise up and want what they want and when they want to do it and go against what God's vision has in speaking to you through to lead these congregations, and anyone who rises up in rebellious and critical heart and stuff, God will remove. Don't have to sit there and figure out how to deal with the people. God is going to remove them and turn them around, send them back. And take them out because of the rebellious spirit. No man of faith. And trusting what God's doing in and through those people. But there were a futile attempt on them. They were doing it in their flesh and not by faith. They rejected the faith. And when God was with them, they did not think it was enough. Now that God was not with them, they thought they could do it themselves. That you would see as the people rebel. People will rebel. This is what you will see. Happened then, it happens still today. May we not have hearts, rebellious hearts. May we be committed to fully, like Caleb, the right spirit, fully committed to God, trusting in God by faith, and not by sight.